0: It's time to open your mind and expand your empire. You're listening to The Ted Huff Show. Join in for stories that embrace imperfections and become the inspiration you need to achieve true greatness in your life through actionable progress in the pursuit of self-discovery, self-improvement, and self-purpose. Where will your story take you? Now let's get it started with the man himself, your host, Ted Huff. So everybody, uh, today we have Avery Mitchell with us. He is the creator and founder of Urban Survival Sciences, a combative martial arts training system. He has over 20 years of international risk mitigation, um, executive protection, um, anti-terrorism type things for high net worth folks, celebrities, don't ask who it is, he's not gonna tell us, I've already tried that one. Um, public figures, he's the co-chairman of the anti, I'm going to, I'm reading this because I don't want to screw this one up too bad, Avery. The anti-terrorism accreditation board. I knew I was going to mess it up. ATAB, absolutely. ATAB. Um, and he is heading up the global certification program for certified executive protection specialist, man. That's a mouthful. Correct. Correct. That is a mouthful. So... Um, we're going to get into some some really interesting things, but uh, on the TED HUFF show, the big thing that we want to do is understand what is it that got Avery to create the urban survival sciences. Um, how did he get into the executive protection area? What were the things that that got him there? So, Avery, with without a without any further ado, <laughs> hey man. So, so how did how did you get into that? I mean, what was it? That's funny you say that, Ted. I think everybody can read a bio
1: and they go, oh, like, this is my story. I think my story is a little bit different. And, and it kind of goes like what people talk about with motivation. Like you have skills, you have gifts and you have talents, you work. I kind of want to say that I was born a protector, meaning I've always been that person that looked after the elderly, looked after a little child, looked after people. So I think it's something that the Creator gave me, a gift to want to protect people. Um, Growing up in inner city Newark, New Jersey, um, you see a lot of things growing up in inner city America. Um, And I always was a person who wanted to understand why things happened. So when you see violence, you see crime, you see people being taken advantage of, the psychology kind of comes into it before you even know what psychology is, of trying to figure out the why and the how, what makes people do what they do, and what creates the environments for it to occur. So, Throughout life, I always wanted to question, why was this happening? Why was that happening? When I went to college, I purposely decided to take uh, my major be criminal justice and sociology with a minor in psychology, just to get an understanding of how the system works, but also how the mind of people works. Um, Started in martial arts. You talked about something that people don't know. So I'll give you a real story. I was 13 years old when a bully picked on me in my neighborhood. And I did not fight back. So I understand bullying firsthand. Um, I questioned why I didn't respond back. And the honest answer was, I was afraid. Fear was real. And I didn't know how to respond to someone who was three years older than me. And they were much more aggressive than I was. So even at 13, I went inside myself to like, why didn't I respond? Why didn't I react? What was the triggers that were in me? I had a lot of mouth, Ted. So I, 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 I was wolf talking. I was like, oh, you're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. You're not going to do this. And he punched me right in the chest and was like, oh. I guess you are. He took action <laughs> Okay, on what he was talking about. My grandmother walked me across the street to a karate school that was opening up. And um, my teacher, and I always give him credit, a dead age, his name was Charles Wilson. He said... Why didn't you fight, Avery? I said, I don't know. He said, sure you do. Sure you do. Why? I said, I don't know. He said, tell me the truth. I looked at him and I said, I was afraid of pain. He goes, what pain? I said, well, if he had hit me, it would have hurt. He goes, how do you know? I'm like, because that's what happens. He goes, so your perception is something that had not occurred would hurt before it even happened. Oh, wow, yeah. Now, years later, as I became an adult, I started going to school and taking psychology, I was like, you know, I kind of created that whole thing in my mind, because it wasn't real, but it prevented me from reacting. And as you read in one of my articles, that's where the concept of stamping comes from.
0: And I, I and so, so, you know, that 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 article was really interesting for me, especially the whole stamping piece right. of it, um, because lots of things happen in our, in our youth, Absolutely. Um, you know, like like one of the things that, that happened to me in, in my childhood is that I saw a friend of mine being bullied. Okay. Um, got pushed down at the bus stop. Right. Hit his head on the ground. Wow. And the bus ran over him
1: whoa Ted <laughs>
0: okay, like. um, not just ran over him let, let me be a little graphic here and I may have to actually put um, a disclaimer on this <laughs> okay. episode Wow! but I literally saw the bus tire drive over the skull of my friend
1: well that tops my story of seven years old seeing somebody shot right in front of me <laughs> that's a little bit different a bus ran over somebody
0: It in the Weird thing about that, and it, it gets me choked up thinking right. about it. But uh, the weird thing about that is that now, when you see school bus stops to right. have the fences for the kids to stand behind, right? That's why. Wow, that is why you see that. But so with the stamping piece, and and that that is something when I saw that, that's the thing that came to my mind. Right. Absolutely. And so with understanding the negative side to stamping. I know you mentioned in your article also the ability to rewrite or overwrite. I start, I'm going to date myself here a little bit, but it makes me think of like the old VHS tape Absolutely. where you would record a show on it Absolutely. and you didn't want to watch it anymore. What'd you do? You recorded over the top of it with something else you wanted to write, watch. Yeah. So from your perspective, can you overwrite that stamping? Stamping is
1: something where from episodic memory, things that have happened in your life, you decide to go never again. Never again could be bullying, it could be pain. Never again could be poverty. Never again could be failure. Never again could be a problem with losing weight. Never again could be the F you got on your report card or on your turn paper. Never again could be the relationship I don't have with my parents or my siblings, whatever. But the never again and stamping is not negative. You look at it and go, I don't want that. I don't want to repeat that. How can I look at the positive and make it better? If you failed on an eating plan and you haven't lost the weight before, let's say people go, oh, my goal was 10 pounds. I only lost two. Why are you not proud of the two you lost? Why are you not happy with the two? And what can you take on how you lost that two pounds, that positive motivation and lock it in? Mm -hmm. Remember how you got it. Put it up on a wall and look at it and go, hell, I did that. I rewrote and I reprogrammed my brain that success is possible, that you can achieve anything. A lot of my life, Tate is based upon that. When you say where did Avery come from, where did I get to? In a city Newark, New Jersey, seeing a shooting when I was seven years old, growing up in some very rough conditions. I want to be very clear. My family was loving. My family was kind. And they gave me everything that I would want in a household of love. But when I came outside, the streets were not loving.
0: So once you left those four walls,
1: you you in the jungle, you a you're in a war zone a lot of places and you have to see the world for what it is reality. But you also kind of got to be unrealistic because I had a grandmother who said to me, you can be whatever you want to be. You can achieve whatever you want to achieve. But you've got to know that. That stamped in my brain. I never imagined going to 45 countries, coming from Newark, New Jersey.
0: 45 <laughs> countries. And that's About not I count the ones I've
1: been to multiple times. I'm just saying I've been these places one time, but I've been to Brazil eight times, I've been to South Africa six times, the blessed to meet Nelson Mandela in South Africa. Like, But I stamped in my brain the things that she told me as a child of what I
0: could do, what I could achieve. All right, so I gotta stop you there. Okay, You met Nelson Mandela. Absolutely. In South Africa? Absolutely. All right, you got to tell the story. How <laughs> did that happen? How did you get that?
1: Okay, I was uh, in South Africa with an artist, who I will not name, who was there doing... Uh, he uh, told Nelson- you guys, like, he, won't, he <laughs> will not
0: will not, reveal the name. Go ahead. Go but ahead. if you
1: do a Google search and say concert for Nelson Mandela's four double six six four charity event in South Africa, you'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> okay, um, And we met uh, Mr. Mandela uh, at his house, he got to shake his hand. And I'll never forget it. I shook his hand. I said, Mr. Mandela, it is a pleasure to meet you. I said, I remember when you first came home in the parade in New York City. I said, I couldn't meet you, but I waved as you went by. I said, now I'm actually meeting you and shaking your hand. It's an honor. His response to me, Ted, was no, it's an honor for me to meet you. And it's my pleasure. I lost All mental faculty. I had no response. I'm like, this is a person I look up to. I idolize.
0: Unbelievable level of uh, being humility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow.
1: I was like, no, no, no. I said, no, no, sir. It's my honor to meet you. He said, no, it's my honor to meet you. That's crazy. That's like one of my favorite moments in life. Like was meeting him and having him say that. And you could feel the compassion coming from him as he was still holding my hand while he was saying it. I mean, it's. It makes me glow on the inside now, like really it does.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, I I know you've you've got a handful of other stories we'll get into a little (laughs) bit later. Some of them are not as uh, glowing.
1: Uh, yeah, not the rosy color side <laughs> exactly well,
0: maybe rosy color just not the kind that we're hoping
1: for. <laughs> that's true that's true
0: um but one one of the things that I wanted to understand is um you you've been dubbed a survival scientist right um, Can you help us understand what what that means in general mm. and then turn it back a little bit inside and what does that what does that mean to you?
1: okay A survival scientist was a name that was given to me by uh, martial arts master and a protection specialist who travels the world who said you have taken survival and broken it down to a science and you critically analyze every component one of my favorite phrases is the small in the all because the word all is in small so if you look at every small thing that you're doing it's going to lead to a bigger thing so i analyze everything survival is not just surviving violence Survival is surviving a bad childhood. It's surviving poverty. It's surviving low self-esteem. It's surviving <clears throat> a a belief that you're not worthy of achieving something. The critical assessment of me as it came from was traveling the world, going to third world countries, uh, dealing with violence in America, working with uh, gangs and youth prevention, all those kind of programs. From a combative martial arts standpoint, it was chiseling away at martial arts that somewhat are lengthy, somewhat traditional, that are not effective in today's society. And it was making it effective for the everyday person who has not grown up or known violence to learn it and utilize it in the quickest time. My statement has always been if you give me four hours with anybody, I will make them capable of defending themselves on the street four hours, four hours to reprogram
0: the mind and stamp what you need inside of you. Wow. So, so you just mentioned that, that it's a, you know, we I mentioned in the introduction that it it's a combative martial arts system.
1: It is, but it also is a way of life because it carries into everything I do. So the way I teach martial arts is the way I do executive protection, the way I do executive protection, Is the way I move people around, whether it's my personal family, my children or anyone I'm teaching, because you have to live something to be good at it. So the principles that I follow in survival sciences are the same principles I live in life. How you take your children out of the car, how you put them in the car, how you walk into your house. I'll give you a perfect example. Anyone who knows me knows I will never walk into my house or any building or any hotel room or anything without checking the knob first. I'm going to touch the knob and shake it. Cause I want to know if that door is going to open up by itself. The problem with most people is they go to a door and they touch it and the door opens up. Okay. Was it broken into? Was it left open? Human nature, a person goes, oh, I must've left the door unlocked. Well, that's a 50, 50 at that point. Maybe you did, or maybe you didn't. But if you make it a habit of double checking the door before you leave, and when you come back and touch it, if that door opens up, what it says to me is those I love have to step back. I have to go in first and see what the problem is, because I know I locked the door. But when you just put your key in and it slides open to go, oh, maybe the lock wasn't working or maybe I didn't lock it. You should have a surety in not guessing. And if you're guessing, you're taking those you love into an environment that is untested and not known yet. So it becomes a habit with me, a behavior, the things I do for safety. So when it came to celebrities and corporate executives, I really transferred what I was living sort of profession.
0: Wow. So getting into, sorry, you, you caught me off guard <laughs> with that because I, I, uh, I was, I was just, I'm, I'm thinking through this because, you know, I, I have family that um, are, are relatively alone in certain parts of the right. country. Um, and, and it makes me think of, you know, how much we instilled in our children, the, importance of paying attention and being cognizant of their surroundings and Absolutely. what's going on and, and the way people react to them and the way that not, not to have their, you know, in this day and age, not to have your heads down and your phone, not Absolutely. To be listening to music. Um, so with coming from the perspective of, of understanding your surroundings okay. to that level, and then how do you weave in and what kinds of, of martial art process do you bring into it because you have everything from Taekwondo that is very, very form-based. Right. It's based on pretend. Right. Um, assailants. Right. Um, then you move into Krav Maga, which is Absolutely. a very hand-to-hand combat Israeli style. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also got Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is a, a ground combat right. style. Right. Um, I mean, they're just, I could probably, the list of martial arts that are out there are, are very, very different. How, what, and I'm assuming, and hopefully you can, I'm assuming (laughs) you're taking the, the, the best of all of those.
1: I'm taking the best of Ted, meaning
0: this. Okay. I have studied
1: Krav Maga. I've studied Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I've studied Japanese Jiu Jitsu. I've studied Aiki Jitsu. I've studied karate. I've studied Filipino Arnis and of the, the knife fighting arts in Cali. I've studied American boxing, wrestling, whatever you want to call it. When I'm teaching someone, I say a system or a style is the founder's interpretation of what the art meant to him. So it's his style of karate. Okay. It's his style of judo. It's his style of Tai Chi. It's Taekwondo. But in Korea, you have Taekwondo, you have Kuk Wan, you have Hwa Do. You have many styles. When I'm teaching someone, I ask them this question. Have you ever met an attacker who had more than two arms and two legs? Because if you didn't, you're fighting the anatomy of another person, not an art, not a style. And the style has to adapt to you. There are different heights. There are different weights. Some people are very flexible. Some people are not. No disrespect to any art, but if you study an art that is 85% kicking and 15% punching, and you're at either an advanced age or you're not very flexible, you're not going to do well with that art and it's not going to be practical. So I should modify that to work for the person. Some people tend are just not aggressive. They're very passive. Those people usually take arts that are more suited to them, that are more of a softer style, more of a flowing style. Well, that's great for your temperament. That's great for raising, as they call it, your spirituality in Asian arts. But there is a time when the aggressiveness has to come forward in a combative situation in street reality, whether it's in America or in foreign countries. So you have to adapt the art for the person and what makes it work for them. And then it becomes, like they say, goju-ru, shito No, it becomes ted It becomes your style and you teach it to your family the way it was in Asia. It was a family system passed down to the family and then given a name. So I should give you something. So if Ted is training with Avery Mitchell, oh yeah, I'm a black belt in urban survival sciences or so. No, Avery gave Ted gifts and skill sets and concepts and theories that he can utilize that work for him and that he can share with his family. He can always come back and get enhanced and taught more stuff, but it's gotta work for you because under stress and duress and attack, there's no one there but you, not your instructor, not the grand master, not the head of the system. Krav Maga is a very effective art. It is Israeli combat and proven, but there's also Kapop in Israel. There's Hisra Dut. There's more than one style of military combative systems in Israel. Which one is better, which one is less? The individual is the one defending themselves. Your wife is defending herself against a sexual predator. She's not an Aikido woman a judo woman, a jiu-jitsu woman, a Krav Maga woman. She is a woman with two arms and two legs who has to understand first the human anatomy of the person. Example being, people go, oh, I love your style. Can I study it? I don't have a style. I have my interpretation of life, growing up in the inner city, traveling the world, being in third world countries, observing violence, being involved in violence, being undoubtedly, I will say this, an expert in predator psychology, an understanding of how the predator's mind works and how to diffuse that. I'm not going to make you an expert in four hours. I'm not going to make you an expert in four months, but I will make you able to handle yourself in a situation because I make you understand you and what works for you. I take all these different arts. Okay, Wait a minute. A wrist goes up and down, left and right. That's the science of it. If it goes at a 45 degree angle, normally that's a sprain. If it goes at 90, it's a break. So it doesn't matter what art you take. If I understand and teach Ted the anatomy part of 45 a sprain, 90 is a break. It goes up and down, left and right. So which art does Ted need now? Once he understands how that wrist works. How I did martial arts. Like when when the Gracie's first came to America, I joined Henzo School in New York City and I studied with Henzo. And he showed me a lot of stuff, and Henzo said, Avery, this is great for the ground. I said, yes, but not for America. He said, what do you mean? I said, Henzo, let me explain something to you. You have to learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because you're like a fish out of water. So when somebody gets on top of you, you start feeling like you're suffocating. You can't, it's like you can't swim. He goes, right. I said, but in Rio, Ted, they have honor. You see those old videos of the Gracie's. You see 50 guys in a circle. You see two guys in the middle, and they're fighting. Not one friend jumps in to help they sit there and they honor the fact that it's a fair fight. I said, Henzo, that's not America. Here. I said, well, I grew up at a Newark. If I'm losing, my friend's going to jump in. If I'm beating him and he's losing and I'm on top of him, I'm going to get Timberland boots in the back of my head. The concept in urban survival sciences is you got to manipulate that body. Yeah, Ted, you got to break something. And you got to get your ass up fast because his friends are coming.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: yes, BJJ is great in a environment of competition it's great in MMA it's great if you're in an environment where it's only me and you so for law enforcement it's great because once he gets the guy down he can try to get him cuffed but if that guy's got a partner you got a problem yeah because you're solely focused on I got time to be on top of him not where I grew up at hmm.
0: <laughs> no I mean th- e- even just thinking through some of the altercations that I went through um, in my teens, right, it, it was like, uh, wow, the ground is the worst
1: place in the world to be,
0: but but if you're there and you know how to get, how to out, get of it, out of it, that is that is all. You know, I, I'm I'm gonna go into you, you, you sent me something as as one of your stories that um, my wife and I were talking <laughs> about, uh, and 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 we we kind of laughed a little bit, and it's not because it was funny, Ugh. but you mentioned that. In Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro, um, at one point you were surrounded by 100 AK-47s Absolutely. and you were able to make it out alive. Now, the part we found that was funny is that you were able to count all 100 of them. Mm-hmm. But the even the best part is, is the fact that, and the way that I explained it to her was, because he is still here today, that's how he was able to count all of the weapons. Is the mic on off. It's on. Okay. Let's keep, let's keep
1: it. Let's keep it. I'll give you, I'll tell you this. Okay. The story of Rio. An artist, once again, which I cannot name. We were doing a documentary on where hip hop or music came from. Since it came from inner city America, the idea was let's go around the world where music <gasps> is growing.
0: Oh. And
1: let's create those same environments where the music came from. Well, I can tell you been to Compton before been to Newark before been to St. Louis before been to Detroit before been to Memphis been to Little Rock nothing compares to Rio and Sao Paulo so when you go let's go like music started hip hop in the Bronx let's go to Rio it's the same thing no it's not <laughs> <laughs> so as I normally do when I travel the world I make sure with my, with my clients I network use my my resources And I'd already hired uh, police and local military police to be with us in Rio and in Sao Paulo. Um, The first location in Sao Paulo we went to, when we arrived, we uh, got out, elected my client who had some rather expensive jewelry. And we were like, hey, guy, you know, can you put that away? The person who was in charge of that favela, and when I say the word in charge, I mean in charge, he went, my friend, what are you doing? I said, I'm telling my client to put some valuable. Th- no, no, no. Leave everything on. You are safe. You are fine. You are my guest. No one here will touch you. You can walk around with money falling out of your pocket. No one will pick it up. No one will touch it. And then he says some things I got to be. For your podcast, I'll say it this way. No, no. not I'll say it actually the way he said it. He said, if anyone was to touch you in this favela, and you're my personal guess. It would not be wise for their family tonight.
0: Oh, wow.
1: That was my first introduction to a favela. Now, in the movie City of Gods in Sao Paulo, that's flatland. When you're in Rio, you're on the mountaintop. So you're looking above the city. That was a situation where, let's just say, in looking for the essence of the music, we went into a, a favela in Rio where... We have been advised not to go sometimes in executive protection you give your vulnerability and your threat assessments your risk assessments to a client and if they go no i still want to go you have to make a decision how much intel can you gather how much advanced work can you do logistical work you can do and decide do we do this or don't we do this but sometimes clients go but that's what i pay you for and i want to go so, if you're good at what you do, and you're like me, and you're Leo, you kind of go, I'm not going to back down from that. We can do it. So, and there are like 10 people in the world who can verify the story. We are all together. We drive into the favela. They told us, first of all, we couldn't bring the police with us. So, we're like, okay, me and my partner, like, okay, no police. We drive into the favela. We get halfway in, and they call the translator on the phone, speaking Portuguese. And they turn around and go they want you to turn the lights on in the van i go no we're not going to do that we have the client inside she goes one second she turns back around and goes they said either you turn the lights on in the van or they're going to shoot it up because they want to know if you have police inside
0: oh that's an interesting way now
1: at that point is when you start looking as you're driving up and it's winding streets like the canyons in california and you start seeing people sitting on motorcycles with AK-47s. So you look and you go like one, two, three, four, like one, two, three, four, like there are four people sitting on motorcycles on each side of the street and they have AK-47s. After we turn the light on and they see there's no police officers, we start driving farther into the favela. Then you start looking up on the rooftops and you see people on top of the roof and they've all got ak-47s also just like in the movies like you have driven into a war zone they're on the rooftops they're out the windows they're on the bicycles and when you drive so far up into the favela at a certain point you can't see anymore the road you came in on so honestly you kind of lose a sense of perception of where you're at because when i first got out the vehicle i lost my sense of direction i'm being very honest i was like like, because you couldn't see the street and we were surrounded by people so you, I lost where I came in at and where we came out so you're like you disoriented for a second you have to catch yourself they had the giant drums with the fires burning in them mm-hmm. and we had just found out that a news reporter had snuck into the favela a week before um, to do an undercover story the total truth Ted, they told us they found his reporter they had tied him to a pole in the middle of the favela and it took around four or five days of hacking him up with a machete until he died. Now, people listening to your podcast, they would go, oh my God, that's crazy, that's not true. No, actually, it really is. That's the story that people don't wanna hear about third world countries. That's the story people don't wanna hear about where sometimes the people are supposed to protect you are the people that kidnap you. So a lot of times I've heard this statement, when you're traveling the world to certain third world countries, do you hire crooked people? I don't know what that word means, Ted, in certain countries, because sometimes the people that get paid to protect you are also the people that kidnap you. And I'm gonna leave it at that. So I kind of think you have to learn the environment. It goes back to my survival scientist thing. Who's in charge here? So when I go to a foreign country, through my network and through my resources, there are very clean things I can reach out to. But if I know this lieutenant, is in charge of this area and nothing happens in this area without his knowledge I want to be his friend yeah. because he decides as what happened in Rio one night when we left the favela and we got stopped by soldiers and I say soldiers I believe they were soldiers because they were in camouflage they had AK-47s and they stopped our car they approached the car and the driver said to them in Portuguese and he translated for me he said we're fine Avery We told them you hired us and you're paying us. So you're good because you're taking care of the local Brazilians. Ah. They led us through the roadblock. I looked in the mirror, Ted, and I looked behind us. There was another car behind us that wasn't with us. They stopped that car on the roadblock. In the mirror, I could see it took every single person out of that car and they put him in another car. I said, wait a minute, where are they going? The driver said, Avery, this is not America, it's Rio. He said, mind your business. It's not for you to worry about. He said, there's no good Samaritan stories here. I don't know what happened to that family. I just know they were removed from the car they were in and put in another car. And that car was driving off. So were they kidnapped? Were they taken out because the tags were expired? <laughs> hey, listen, I don't know. <laughs> expired tags, yeah. <laughs> okay. But I've never seen somebody with expired tags get escorted with AK-47s and put into a car that wasn't theirs.
0: Yeah, that, I haven't seen that either. I haven't seen so, that either. So. I
1: would kind of think they were kidnapped.
0: Wow, that that's uh, that's crazy, that's crazy. Yeah, it is. But that that's uh, that perspective is really interesting because um, even in in our day to day lives here in the states, right, um, we also have to look at it that way. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's, that doesn't just happen, um, in third world countries. No, um, you know one of the things. I don't know if it was you and I talking or an article I read, uh, but um, you had mentioned that, you know, there are places in our own country here in the U S that are or should be and considered a war zone.
1: Absolutely. Poverty creates desperation anywhere in the world, third world, first world, whatever you want to call it. When people see no hope, And they see no way out. It creates a feeling of anger. It creates a feeling of desperation, of no hope. It makes me look at someone who is achieving with envy, with bitterness. And I kind of get upset that a person may have something I don't. Sometimes people do things to you because they want you to feel their pain. Pain has been stamped into their mind. It's really the only thing they have to give. You can't give love unless you receive love. But if you've been given hate and you feel hate, hate is all you have to give. If you felt pain, it's all you know and it's all you have to give. So there are certain places in America where people give out pain deservingly or undeservingly to people because it's all they know, Ted. So I know violence. I give you violence because it's all I know. Now with me, when you say the survival scientist, I apply that to myself. There's a lot of introspection with me on things that happened in my life, things that I didn't have, or things that weren't, weren't done with me, that I reversed that cycle in stamping. And I'll give you a classic example in real life. People say, well, I grew up without a father. Well, then make sure you be a great father to your children so you don't repeat that cycle. Oh, I grew up in a house full of domestic violence. Whether well, you make sure you don't perpetuate that and do it yourself because you received it or saw it. It is very easy to take that negative stamp of what you saw growing up and then use it as a positive and go, no, not never again to doing it, but never again to breaking that cycle and not repeating it and doing better. So there's always a way to take any event, anything that happens in your life, positive or negative and go, I can turn that and make it work for me. If I want to, it's only when you choose to accept what happened is, well, that's just the way it is. No, it's because you think it can't be done or someone has not said to you or shown you how it could be done. Those principles I learned in inner city America travel with me around the world. Like I said, it's a way of life. Survival is a way of life. Conquering fear, managing fear. I never say getting rid of fear. That's a false concept. Fear is an intuitive piece of you that alerts you to when danger is occurring. People go, yes, my instinct. No, intuition and instinct are two different things. Intuition is a, and I'll say it this way, for those that are religious, it is a God sense. For those that are spiritual, it is a spiritual sense. For those who believe in nothing, it is an innate connection to humanity that tells you something bad may be happening. Don't drive the car today. Don't go into elevators person. Don't walk this way. Don't give this speech. Don't invest in this stock. It is a connection between you and the universe that says something is not right with this. Intuition is your physical survival skills that kick in, usually when you haven't followed intuition. Rapid perspiration, heart racing, pain in your stomach, a clenching of your muscles. Your body is now saying you didn't listen to the intuition. Something's wrong. Intuition said, don't get in the elevator with this person. You didn't listen. Now you got in. Now your body's alerting you. Whoa, there's definitely danger here. There is something wrong. And now I'm giving you the physical warning signs that we are in danger. Unfortunately, sometimes when you don't listen to intuition, it now becomes a game of luck, speed, skill, or blessings to survive it. Because the warning signal that's built into you already told you don't drive today on this highway, don't get in this elevator, don't walk down this street, and you ignored it.
0: So that one of the questions that I like to ask all the guests, and, and you you led me right into it. So I gotta thank you for that <laughs> one. <laughs> Um, is is I always like to ask, when you feel overwhelmed or when you feel that you've lost focus, what can what do you do? and what can others do to regain the focus and overcome the overwhelm?
1: I always go back to the fact that I, I, I am an overthinker. I think my job creates an overthinking. What people call a situational awareness with me would be called a healthy paranoia because in my job, it's always to think of the what if. Sometimes to think in the negative because I'm planning for what could happen. That doesn't always help a positive environment or a positive mindset or law of attraction bringing the positive to you. But I think when you lose focus, there's also a lack of gratitude. If you have gratitude for what you have in life, and gratitude for what you've achieved and what you've done. From a situational awareness standpoint, if I look at everything around me and I observe what is right, you should look for right first, wrong second. Most people look for wrong first and right second. If you look for the right in something, because there is always a right way to do things, there's a right way to drive, there's a right way to open your door, there's a right way to do anything. If you're looking for the right way of doing something, you will see the wrong in it. Focus is usually lost because there is something inside of you that's off-center. It could be life's distractions, it could be bills, it could be a divorce, it could be stress, it could be not getting a promotion, it could be a termination, it could be a lot of things. But if you look at the worst things, and for me personally, the worst things I ever thought could happen in my life, I always survived it. I always made it through. Because we create in our minds More fear of the unknown than what is the actual reality. So for me, I write down on a piece of paper three things that I'm fearful of or that I'm worried of or that upsets me or makes me nervous. Then I look at those three things and I go, what is the outcome I want from those three things? So on the other side of the paper, I write down what I want. Then I look at what's the distance between what I fear and what I want. I don't go for the leap. Just think it and it's going to happen. It's baby steps. So I look at, I fear this. How can I make steps towards what I want on the right side of the paper? And every, not every day, every hour of the day, I look and see how close I am. If I stayed stagnant or I went backwards in where I'm at, because I'm a person who really believes I have to see it on paper what I'm dealing with. Thinking it is great. And sometimes technology even gets in the way. Notes in my iPhone, notes in my iPad. But for me, when it comes to losing focus or gaining my focus, I have to write down on paper in my own handwriting and look at it and then look at that left and right. Here's where I'm at. Here's where I want to go and start working towards that. And the more I work towards the right side of that page, the better I feel. The more I feel I
0: internalize it and I get there. So, so the, what I what I just heard you say, and, and straighten me out if I got sideways on yeah. this, is that when you when you feel the overwhelm or you feel like you've lost focus, stop, assess the situation for all the things that are good in that particular situation. Absolutely. Then figure out all the things that that you have control over that may not be best. Right. Then determine what it is that you want the outcome to be. Absolutely and then take the first step towards making that better outcome or the other outcome. I shouldn't always call it better, but the other outcome. No, it's, it's, it's better from where you're standing at. Okay. I just think, and I'll say
1: this in my opinion, a lot of motivational speakers, a lot of coaches try to make people think there's going to be a giant leap from one state of A to Z. I always say I move celebrities from A to B cause it's real hard to go from A to Z. So there like, are
0: a lot of letters between <laughs> them. <that. laughs> right.
1: So when you say you have $2 in your account, but you can have a million tomorrow, mm, that's going to be pretty hard. Well, you could, you just maybe had a depression right. very shortly <laughs> thereafter. Okay. So I think if you have a self-confidence issue or an ego issue, or you're not sure of who you are, just being a step better than you were yesterday, moving to the right side of that page is so dramatic. It's so powerful. Now, back to your earlier question that little step to the right
0: stamp it stamp it and keep it so give us an example and, and and I appreciate you bringing us back to that but give us an example of of how how to set that stamp because in my head it's, it's kind of interesting because after reading the article and us talking about it it makes me think of the wax seal on royal letters where where you would get to that point and you say okay I, w- I want to seal this in how how do they how do they after they've they've poured the wax how do they stamp it in and and make sure make make sure that it stays
1: to stamp in a positive manner takes positive reinforcement once you give it to a person they lock it in their episodic memory and they play off that and they play that video back. I'll date myself <laughs> or they play stream it back over and over again. That positivity. So for an example, your child is playing little league. And he may be struggling with batting. So you take him out or your daughter's doing gymnastics or with me, could be going to the firing range and you go, okay, Avery hit that target. Okay. Johnny hit that ball. If you're going to have him out there for two hours at a certain point, he's going to get tired. At a certain point, he's going to make mistakes. If he was good the first hour, Ted, and he was doing everything correctly, that's a stamping moment. But we don't do that because most parents want we perfection. We to
0: the point until they start to fail and then right. we punish them for the failure. Right. We go, okay, it's over. Wow. It's done.
1: No. When he does it for the first 45 minutes and he's hitting that ball correctly, and he's energized and he's happy. Stop. Practice over. But dad, I thought you was going to do two hours. No, no, no. Right here. It's what I want.
0: And we got to leave that. How do we do that to ourselves, though? So I think that's the hardest part. I mean, helping others. It's hard, but it's not if you realize where you came from, anything
1: you're worried about, anything you're fearful of, anything you're afraid of, anything you're worried about, once you think a positive thought. And for most human beings, you got to write it down. How many people write down the good things about themselves? Oh, very few. Very few. How many many people even say to themselves when they wake up in the morning, I'm a wonderful person. I'm a caring person. I'm a kind person. In training in survival sciences, I tell someone, you are worthy of defending yourself. You are worthy of your possessions. You've earned it. You've earned the right to be safe. So you have a right to defend yourself. Be proud of that. Most people in training with me say, I don't want to hurt anybody else. I don't want to hurt anyone else either. But I didn't choose to be chosen by a predator, but I choose to live past this moment because I have loved ones and families and businesses and and business associates who depend on me. So I have to resolve this conflict right now so I can do better for people tomorrow. So I deserve the right to live. So I'm going to defend myself appropriately.
0: I really think the folks tuning into the Ted Huff Show really need to understand what the interview is and what they can do to identify when they're being interviewed. And it's not just a job interview, folks. (laughs) Um, We all go through that.
1: I'm going to use a job interview as a reference because most people listening to your show can understand it. When people are going for job interviews, they're told a couple of things. They're told to be attentive. Listen to everything the interviewer is saying to them listen to every word, and be careful how you answer. But in real life, people don't follow any of those things. The interview comes from the practice of me actually interviewing predators, whether they be robbers, muggers, sexual predators, kidnappers, whatever it is from a clinical standpoint, and just analyzing how they think and how they talk and what they do. It's called the setup. You have to know an individual and in who is times of the essence in any crime, times of the essence in any wrongdoing. So I have to assess first what kind of person I'm dealing with. There are questions that a predator will ask someone that gives them very quickly a profile of the individual. It takes one minute for some, It takes five minutes for others. It might take 30 minutes. But the most important thing that your listeners need to understand is, they've gotta know they're being interviewed. For example, I'll start off with the sexual assault and then I'll go to the other kinds because that's the most difficult and most challenging. A lot of young ladies when they're out, and once again, this is coming from the mind of a predator. So it's not a theory, it's not a concept, this is people
0: who actually carried it out, who explained to me how it works. And, folks, I'm going to go ahead and put in the show notes also uh, a link to the article that Avery wrote about this so you can get a little bit deeper understanding of, of where the 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 intel, sorry, my military background starts <laughs> to pop in there, the information of, of where he collected this from. To want to want to see more so go ahead okay so a predator has to know something about you and
1: the 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 easy statement is are you difficult prey or are you easy prey the analogy that is very simple when a criminal drives down the street he sees a house one without an alarm sign one with an alarm sign and then one with a sign for beware of dog he looks at the houses and go i could break in all three or attempt to but wow this one has no alarm. This one has an alarm. But this one has an animal that bites and attacks. They both, all three of them, excuse me, could be available, but usually the predator is going to choose the one without the dog and without the alarm. Why? It's the least resistance and it's easier. Now let's go to human beings. If I approach you in a store, if I approach you in a mall, if I approach you in a nightclub, if I approach you at a social environment or setting and I go, hey, how you doing? Pretty good. Oh, my God, you're very beautiful. Oh, thank you. Oh, are you married? Now, one thing I'm going to say as a father who has daughters, we have done not such a great job in teaching women about how predators think because we have taught them to answer questions and give too much information to get a person out of your face or get a person away from you. When sometimes if you're being interviewed, you're giving too much information. I'm going to walk you through a quick scenario of how this really happens in a nightclub. Fantastic. I appreciate that. So you walk up to a person and say, Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. Oh my God. You're very beautiful. Oh, thank you. Wow. Your husband is so lucky. Oh, I'm not married. Question number one, there's no husband. Oh, you're not married. Oh, my God, you're so beautiful. Well, you definitely should be married. I guess your fiance really loves you. You know, well, I I mean, I don't see a ring. Oh, you must have your ring off at night. No, I'm not engaged either. So now I have no husband. I have no fiance. Oh, okay, okay. So can I buy you a drink? No. I mean, what, you don't drink? Yes, I do drink. Three questions answered. Well, what's the problem? Why are you being so difficult? Why can't I talk to you? Excuse me. I'm out. I'm enjoying a good time with my friends. Could you leave me alone? Wow. You're really stuck up. What's wrong with you? I guess you're just one of those ladies who doesn't need a man. I guess just you and your dog sit at home, just enjoying life. What? What are you talking about? I don't even have a dog. Stop. So I've already assessed no husband, no fiance, no dog. Three things that might prevent me from trying to enter your apartment once I can figure out where you live. Now, once I got that information, Ted, we go on. Well, excuse me. You're so high and mighty. I mean, what's next? What are you driving? A Lamborghini in the parking lot? Some kind of Lexus? No, that's not what I'm driving. It's none of your business. Well, what are you driving, Miss so-and-so? What are you driving, Miss Big Shot? People's pride and ego or let them tell a person what kind of car they're driving. Now the predators I interviewed usually have a friend outside in the parking lot and the car you describe to them, they're gonna text that person or call that person and say, look for this car in a parking lot. So now I know no husband, no fiance, no dog. Oh, well, excuse me, Miss So-and-so with your Lexus. There's too much conversation going there. There's too much information being given out to a stranger. We have lost stranger danger because now we ride Uber with a stranger. We stay in an Airbnb, a stranger's house, and that's great and that's fine. But the concept of stranger danger was something that was always real because stranger just means someone I don't know. An unknown factor. That relates to your children in the store. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. That's a wonderful toy. I bought that for my son. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, I bet your dad's going to buy you one. Where's your dad at? I know he'll get something for you. Oh, my dad's not here. Oh, wow. Your dad's not here. Where's your mom at? Because I can tell her how much I paid for it. Oh, my mom's not here. I'm just in a store with my cousin just shopping. Oh, neither your mom or your dad is here. No, neither one is here. The child's being interviewed. Wow. They don't know they're being interviewed. And they haven't been prepped to how. A real life story was, there's a gentleman who I'm friends with who runs a security firm. He read my article, the interview you're talking about. And a person came in for a job interview. They were like, hey, I'm here to get a job. Is there anyone here that can do an interview? And they said, well, I'm sorry right now. We're closing down for the day. It's 5 p.m. There's no one here. Listen to the words in the interview, Ted. Are there any men here that can interview me for a job? She said, no, sir. There's no one here. I understand that, ma'am. But are there any men here that can talk to me? No, all the men have gone home for the day. Ooh. He said, really? So there's no one else here? because she had read the article she said you know what hold on one second i forgot our supervisor is in the back she went in the back she called her husband he raced down to the office and he met the gentleman they both called me and said thank you for the article avery because my wife recognized the interview everyone is being interviewed at some point for everything when a person just walks up to your car and goes hey you have a dollar you could spare you go no I don't you have to ask yourself this question why do some cars they walk away from why do some cars they stay persistent and keep on doing it why on some cars they throw squeegee water up on your windshield and with some people you go no I don't have any change please move away from my car you have to be violent you have to be aggressive excuse me sir. no 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 too much conversation going on move away from the car why you and not someone else. Same concept for the break-in, same concept for the salt. It's how you handle yourself. It's the same thing as walking with your head in your cell phone when you're outside, texting while you're walking, so many things. Here's one crime permission thing that we could talk about. For example, when someone is being approached in a parking lot and someone says, oh, give me all your money. When I teach people urban survival sciences, when someone says they want your money, Say, okay, no problem. You can have it. There's no ego Ted. No matter what my training is, my martial arts background, my life is worth more than money. I take the wallet out and I throw the wallet away from me. I tell women, take your purse, as long as it's not your keys inside and your ID. Take the purse and throw it to the side of you. Why would you do that? Because the person said, give me your money. I threw the wallet over there. That's where my money's at. If you tell me to come with you, it's not the money you want. It's me. If you wanted the money, you would just grab the wallet and you go. If you pick up the wallet and say, excuse me, come walk with me. No, because you don't want just the money. If you want me to get in the car with you and move me to a second location, that's not gonna happen. Whatever a person wants from me, your life is more valuable than property. Avery, give me your watch. Sir, give me your watch. You got it. Here you go.
0: Unfortunately, you don't have a watch on us. So that wouldn't have worked. today. You know, but like whatever you have,
1: <laughs> take, the objective off of you into whatever they want. Give me your car keys. Throw the car keys. You will find out real fast if that's what the predator really wants. If it's not, the wallet, the purse, or the keys was the first question in the interview to see how cooperative you are and how much a fight you're going to put up. Resistance. You're the house with no alarm and no dog. But how you answered.
0: But let's kind of move over into what is something that someone could do right away okay. to replace a negative stamp, a way for them to beat a fear that they have.
1: I don't think you beat fear. I think you conquer it by managing it. And once you manage it and conquer it, it doesn't exist. Because if you're not giving thought to it, it's not active. People hear negative voices all the time. They hear negative thoughts all the time. It only works when you make it stay alive with you. It goes back to your first question though about how do you reverse the negative stamp? Because you have positive stamps every day in your life. You have positive things you do every day in your life. You've been complimented by something every day in your life, but you give more voice to the negative stamp. The reprogramming of yourself is, is actually a very simple concept for me is look in the mirror and love yourself. You have to love what you're looking at because that's who's talking to you. And that's also that's who's listening to you because you're talking to yourself. One of the things I personally had to do growing up was I'm a very critical person of myself. I judge myself too harshly. You shouldn't judge yourself at all. You're your worst critic is a real statement. You should be analyzing yourself to be better every day. So I'm not my harshest critic. I am my harshest motivator of becoming better every day, managing fear, beating fear, conquering fear. People always say, oh, it's false evidence appearing real true. However, there is a basis from a stamping standpoint in your episodic memory of something that happened along the way. Psychologists say the human mind doesn't know the difference between reality and fantasy. Well, that's not true. Of course it is. That's why your blood pressure raises watching a horror film. You're not really there with Jason and Chucky. But why are you excited? Why are you looking at something and it becomes real? And that's why virtual reality becomes a reality for you. If the mind sees it, it does not know all the time what's real and what's not. Even if you don't have in your life, Ted, from the past that positive stamp, you can create it. You can write it out. You can go out and look at the sun, enjoy things, be happy with a fear or perceived fear. You've got to conquer it. You have no choice. You've got to say to yourself, I can do this. But that leap of I'm afraid to get in the pool and I'm going to do the wonder butterfly. It's not going to happen tomorrow. I want to get in shape, but I'm going to on Monday. But on Tuesday, I'm running a 26 mile marathon. That's not the reality. I want people to take the baby steps. I want people to and everyone's not the same, but I'm a firm believer. If you write down what you fear and you look at it and you confront it on paper and you go, I can beat that. I can do that. I can manage that and take the incremental increase of one thing. I'll give you a perfect example i lost 40 pounds this year when i committed myself to losing weight congratulations man. thank you no, very much not easy i said i'm a critical judge of myself so i would go oh my goodness i had um a piece of bread that i shouldn't have had you had one piece of bread and you're beating yourself up how many days did i have fruits and vegetables how many days did i go to gym and exercise even though i didn't feel like it 30 minutes just walking in the park getting sunlight I applaud myself, Ted, for those small victories. But those small victories, those baby steps become huge when you do it every day. So if there's something bad you used to eat and you don't eat it three times in a week, man, that's three major accomplishments. Man, that's three positive stamps. And you've got to stop listening to the negative. I always say there's two voices speaking to you at all times, positive and negative. Positive tells you what you should do. Negative always goes, well, why not? It's only a donut. Why not? It's only a piece of fried food. Why not? He looks pretty safe walking to the elevator. Why not? It's a heavy rainstorm, but you can make it. You're a good driver. Why not? Oh, look, the light's turning red, but you can make it. Step on a gas pedal and go. Those things when you listen to it builds up overall a psyche of negative stamping and it comes overwhelming it becomes anxiety it becomes worry and eventually it usually becomes a depression so i'm a firm believer in the same way i teach combatives is the way i live life the progress you make today that one step builds upon another builds upon another if you give your child three days of that perfect batting practice and he locks it into his mind, watch what happens. But if he has to go two hours because the stronger you are and the tougher you are and the harder you go, no, because he goes home remembering the misses. He goes home remembering the mistakes. And the statement of you can do better will never overcome the visual in his episodic memory of doing bad at the end it's not keep on doing it for perfection perfection doesn't exist but you can create a perfect stamp for a person and they will take it and go from it
0: avery this has been great i really really enjoyed this we could go on forever and ever <laughs> i mean this this has been Um, you know, I I like the psychology of things. I like understanding how to help other people through psychology. Um, and this has been fantastic, especially, um, all the little nuggets that that you've given, um, before we shut down and, and turn all these fun lights off. Um, what I want to do is I want people to know where can they find you? Absolutely. Um, I know my favorite place to reach you is through the Modi app. It is the
1: only place to reach me through the Modi app right now. Um, I do online coaching and consulting on Modi, whether it be executive protection, whether it be urban survival, whether it be, as you say, managing fear, overcoming obstacles, or just regular safety and protection in foreign travel or being domestic, even family protection. Like I work with families on how to travel safely with the children and, and your loved ones. Like I said, I was born a protector. So... I'm available all the time. My Modi is never off. My phone is always in my hand. I can attest to that. <laughs> he, he, I've, I've hit him up a
0: couple times, um, and he, he's he's always available, and that's great. So we've got the Modi app. Um, what what other places can they find you? Find out more about you. Find out more about. They can go to my going...
1: Instagram page. I am Avery Mitchell. They can look me up that way. Um, but the Modi app is really the way to get me. I'm Avery Mitchell on a Modi app. If they download the Modi app, they can reach me. Um, I'm probably going to get bombarded with this, but my email is
0: averymitchell at gmail.com. That's <laughs> all right. That's all right. Uh, also, for everybody that um, that downloads the Modi app um, and goes ahead and and connects with Avery and myself, we'll put you into a, uh, a drawing for uh, a free 10 minutes with myself, and then we're also working with the folks at Modi to also give away some additional time Um, so you can start to reach out to some folks that you want to talk to. And so we'll go ahead and do that. Make sure to get all those things in the notes. Is there anything else, Avery, that you want to cover before we shut down for the day? I just want all people
1: to be aware of their surroundings. Look at things from a safety standpoint and feel good about themselves, feel positive about themselves because all the things I've overcome in life, anybody can do it. I'm not special about anything I did. I just took ownership of what I wanted to be and what I want to achieve. And I just want to give to people. I want people
0: to be safe. That's it. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Avery. I really appreciate you coming out today, sitting behind these these bright lights <laughs> um, and answering my my interview questions.
1: You ask a lot of different questions. You're the first person who really like I told you before, you got a lot of information from me that I normally do not discuss, and especially my upbringing. I don't discuss that.
0: Well, and I really <laughs> appreciate that. I think that's going to help everybody understand that no matter where you come from, right, you can always end up where you want to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks again, Avery. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode of The Ted Huff Show. But we know you're wondering where you go from here. TedHuff.com makes it easy for you to get notifications for new episodes, specialized contests, exclusive giveaways, and upcoming events simply by signing up for our mailing list. You'll get access to all this and more by visiting TedHuff.com. That's T-E-D-D-H-U-F-F.com. Until next time, open your mind and expand your empire right here on The Ted Huff Show.